ladies and gentlemen, thank you for standing by. My name is Brent, and I will be your conference operator today. At this time, I would like to welcome everyone to the Uber third quarter 2022 earnings conference call. All lines have been placed on mute and any background noise. After the speaker's remarks, there will be a question and answer session. If you would like to ask a question at that time, simply press star followed by the number one on your telephone keypad. If you would like to withdraw your question, again, press star one. Thank you. It is now my pleasure to turn today's conference over to Mr. Balaji Krishnamurthy. Sir, please go ahead. Thank you, operator. Thank you for joining us today and welcome to Uber's third quarter 2022 earnings presentation. On the call today, we have Uber CEO Dara Khosrowshahi and CFO Nelson Che. During today's call, we will present both GAAP and non-GAAP financial measures. Additional disclosures regarding these non-GAAP measures, including a reconciliation of GAAP to non-GAAP measures, are included in the press release supplemental slides and our filings with the SEC, each of which is posted to investor.uber.com. As a reminder, these numbers are unaudited and may be subject to change. Certain statements in this presentation and on this call are forward-looking statements. Such statements can be identified by terms such as believe, expect, intend, and may. And you should not place undue reliance on forward-looking statements. Actual results may differ materially from these forward-looking statements, and we do not undertake any obligation to update any forward-looking statements we make today, except as required by law. For more information about factors that may cause actual results to differ materially from forward-looking statements, please refer to the press release we issued today, as well as risks and uncertainties described in our most recent annual report on Form 10-K for the year ended December 31, 2021, and in other filings made with the SEC when available. We published our quarterly earnings press release, prepared remarks, and supplemental slides to our Investor Relations website earlier today and we ask you to review those documents if you haven't already. We will open the call to questions following brief opening remarks from Dara. With that, let me hand it over to Dara. Thanks, Balaji. Uber delivered yet another strong quarter with gross bookings of 32% year-on-year, EBITDA of $516 million, an all-time high and well above our guidance range, and solid free cash flow of $358 million. Despite the uncertain global economic environment and considerable foreign exchange headwinds, we again issued Q4 EBITDA guidance that shows strong incremental progression and remain confident in our ability to deliver healthy top and bottom line growth with strong free cash flow generation. Underlying this performance are several trends that represent tailwinds for us. Cities are reopening, travel is booming, and more broadly, a continued shift of consumer spending from retail back to services. We've seen these trends continue into the fourth quarter with October tracking to be our best month ever for mobility and total company gross bookings. With over $1 billion in adjusted EBITDA and $693 million in free cash flow so far this year, we've demonstrated how our global scale and unique advantages of our platform are combining to generate meaningful profits, and we're confident in our ability to build on this momentum. With that, let's open the call to questions. At this time, I would like to remind everyone, in order to ask a question, press star, followed by the number one on your telephone keypad. Your first question comes from the line of Brian Nowak with Morgan Stanley. Your line is open. Thanks for taking my questions. I have two. Um, 
the first one, uh, Dara, you, you mentioned the uh, the fourth quarter bookings trends. The, the guidance seems really solid, particularly given the the backdrop. Just kind of curious, are you seeing any changes in consumer behavior or trade down or differences in your income courts, how they're acting across rides and eats, U.S., Europe, just any sign at all of, of weakening within the consumer of your, of your MAPSIs? That's the first one. And then the second one may be a, a bigger picture one. I think if we break apart the rides business a little bit between high-frequency users and lower-frequency users, like there's still a lot of MAPSIs who are pretty infrequent users, you know, a few times a month. Can you just talk to us about sort of philosophically the next few years, the, the key strategies to get those lower frequency users using the platform, you know, three, four, five more times per month? Thanks. Absolutely. So, uh, Brian, as you can imagine with everything going on, we have been looking uh, very closely for any signs, uh, both internally and so that we can communicate to our investors. Uh, and right now, frankly, we're not seeing any signs of consumer weakness. And, and part of it is that, you know, the consumer spending is strong. And not only is consumer spending strong, but it's shifting over from retail to services. Uh, and we are the beneficiary of that. So on mobility, you know, we've looked at our uh, mobility consumers uh, from an income basis to see if there's any uh, uh, delta in behavior. We're not seeing any kind of uh, jumps one way or the other. Um, seasonal tr uh, trends remain the same. Um, even lower income riders continue to have higher trips per uh, rider uh, as things are opening up, showing absolutely no signs of slowing down. And we've also specifically looked at Europe, uh, you know, with inflation, um, with uh, European economies, I think, you know, leading in terms of uh, weakness as far as the Western world. Again, we've looked to see if there's any weakness and we're not observing any, any weakness. Really, the biggest factor that's affecting our financials is foreign exchange and the strength of the of the dollar uh, that makes our you know stated gross bookings lower and obviously hurts our profit margins. But that's something that we've been able to overcome. Uh, when we look at delivery as well, uh, the delivery business, you know, as you saw, accelerated a bit against Q2. Um, the frequency of ordering per uh, per monthly active platform consumer uh, remains consistent. Uh, and it remains consistent not only in the U.S. and abroad as well. Uh, so while we have looked for signal, we're not seeing any signal. Um, we're going to be cautious going forward. We're going to be cautious on costs. We're going to be cautious on overhead. Uh, but as far as the business goes, right now we are seeing strength across the board. Um, as far as the consumers go, high-frequency, low-frequency consumers, uh, it's absolutely true that if we can move uh, our consumer use from lower frequency to higher frequency, um, we will see very significant growth. Um, generally, if you look at our the number of trips per monthly active platform consumer, that has increased to an average of 5.3 from, let's say, 5.0 earlier in the year. So we are seeing higher engagement of consumers on the platform. Uh, I'd say there are three factors there. One is our membership program, Uber One. Uh, which is now well over 10 million uh, members. Uh, we are now launched in uh, additional markets. I think we're in eight markets now um, on a global basis and continue to launch. And, you know, Uber One has, uh, has benefits that are unique in that they have both delivery benefits and mobility benefits as well. So Uber One is definitely a product that is driving frequency. Second for us is cross-sell. 
we are actively cross-selling delivery consumers, food delivery consumers into grocery, grocery consumers into alcohol, and then actually back now to mobility as well. So all of the cross-sell that we have across the platform continues to increase, um, drive new customers, uh, and also drive retention as well. And then for us also, the, some of the growth initiatives that we have are designed to drive frequency. This is uh, hailables and taxi, two-wheelers, three-wheelers, and lower-cost products uh, as well. When you put it all together, um, it drives healthy gross bookings growth and generally higher frequency uh, per audience. So we, we like the tools that we've got, um, and we think there's a ton of upside uh, for us on the frequency side. Great. Next question. Thanks, Sarah. Sure. Your next question comes from the line of Eric Sheridan with Goldman Sachs. Your line is open. Thanks for taking the questions. Uh, maybe two if I can. Um, first, you know, Dara, we, we saw a proposal from the Labor Department in the last couple of weeks, and it caused a lot of volatility in the news flow around the sector. Can you give us your latest updated views on not only how that proposal might evolve, but your current state of the world in terms of the regulatory landscape with respect to the gig economy and, and how that might evolve in terms of a mixture of uh, elements in your business over the next couple of years? That's number one. And then number two, maybe asking Brian's question but pivoting it towards the delivery side of the house. Um, I think there continues to be a lot of concern about how delivery will grow if the consumer weakens. Are you seeing anything on the consumer front um, that you want to flag in terms of the delivery cadence or the delivery frequency? And how should we be thinking about some of the widening out of use cases in delivery as maybe muting some of that impact in the next step, 12 to 18 months? Thanks. Yeah, absolutely. So um, as it relates to the Department of Labor rulemaking, you know, for, first thing I would tell you is it effectively re, uh, returns us to the framework during Obama's presidency, uh, which was a framework uh, in which we uh, uh, grew significantly. Um, and it doesn't reclassify any workers, doesn't include uh, an ABC test. Uh, so when we look at the rulemaking, uh, we believe that uh, it will provide for stability going forward, and really the focus that we have uh, ourselves is working on a state-by-state -state level, right? Um, Prop 22 in California passed with 58% of the vote um, uh, in a very, very liberal state. Uh, I think everybody recognizes uh, that the value of the flexibility of independent contractors' earnings levels are very robust, and I think in the dialogue that we're having on a state level Really, our goal, and we are finding um, uh, uh, we are finding that uh, the dialogue is a robust dialogue on a state level about preserving flexibility, having robust earners, and then also providing some protections appropriate for independent contractors is the right way forward. Uh, we continue to have dialogue, and, and I say the trend is in our favor at this point. But it is, you know, the road's going to be bumpy, and for us, the nature of work is always going to be a big issue that we have a responsibility to, uh, to shape going forward in dialogue, obviously, with local governments. You know, when we look at um, delivery, uh, again, we don't see any signs one way uh, or the other of consumer weakness at this point. It's something that we're watching out for us. Um, basket sizes are up. Frequency is stable. Uh, about 10% of our eaters on a monthly basis now um, are using our grocery products as well. So we are driving uh, higher engagement there. 
and Uber One uh, membership continues to penetrate at higher rates uh, within our uh, within our delivery segment. So you know you've seen the growth rate of delivery; it continues to be stable, et cetera, a little bit this quarter, and I think for Q4 we expect it to be stable to up a little bit as well. Um, at this point, we're not seeing weakness. We're definitely watching out for it. Next question, please. Your next question is from the line of Justin Post with Bank of America. Your line is open. Uh, great, thanks. I guess you, you've done a good job breaking down the mobility drivers um, in three categories. Can you help us think about delivery growth from here to get to your plan in, in 24? Uh, that would be the first thing. And then we did see corporate uh, overhead go up a bit, quarter over quarter, I think. Uh, could you just go through some of the drivers there and if you can kind of keep that uh, cost contained over the next couple of years? Thank you. Yeah, so I think if you look at delivery growth, um, you know, our growth accelerated a little bit this last quarter. North America uh, volumes uh, remain very healthy. So North America gross bookings grew 19%. Uh, and and then in Europe, actually, we saw slight acceleration in terms of gross bookings on a constant currency uh, basis as well. Um, and, and so I think on delivery, it's all steady on on the front. Um, uh, the growth rate is driven based on uh, adding in new eaters, uh, and obviously we have a source, a significant source of new eaters coming in from the mobility side. Uh, you know, our mobility business provides. Uh, as many new eaters to our eat service as Google, Facebook, TikTok combined at about a quarter of cost. Um, and it's also about merchant ads. Uh, so we are now at an all-time high in terms of the number of merchants uh, on the platform. Uh, and the number of merchants are, it's about 870,000 merchants on the platform, up about 11% year on year. So again, that number of merchants, that growth of merchants mirrors our gross bookings growth as well gross bookings growth being a little bit higher. So with ease, it's about demand and supply, and we're adding new eaters, and we're adding uh, new merchants, which is really driving the growth of the business, along with uh, the frequency that we see with Uber One. Nelson, you want to talk about overhead? So, so on the corporate overhead, um, yeah, yes, it did increase a little bit uh, in the quarter. Um, we obviously continue to monitor quite, quite closely. And so on a year-on-year basis, we actually did deliver about 20 basis points of leverage as a percentage of gross bookings. Uh, internally, what we're doing is we really are trying to focus uh, on managing our, our costs, uh, if you will, because we do recognize that, you know, the environment is a little bit more uncertain, despite the fact that our businesses are operating quite well. So you should expect us to continue to be disciplined, and we're going to continue to deliver the operating leverage. As you know, for us, the North Star right now is making sure that we uh, deliver the 7% incremental margins that we talked about at the total company level. Uh, and as you know, we're ahead of that and expect to be uh, way ahead of that as we think about full year 2022. Great. Thanks, Dar. Thanks, Nelson. Thank you. Sir, next question. Your next question is from the line of Doug Enmuth with J.P. Morgan. Your line is open. Thanks for taking the questions. Uh, I just have two on the mobility side. Um, something to get just the early read on upfront fares and destination functionality for drivers. And then, second, if you could just talk about the higher mobility take rate, the 27.9%, which was up about 130 bips uh, sequentially, the key drivers there. Thanks. Sure, I'll take the first, and Nelson will take the second. Um, listen, upfront fares are a – upfront fares and destinations are a big positive 
as it uh, as it relates to driver satisfaction. Um, you know, drivers now on a global basis uh, were at 20, uh, 2019 highs. Um, if you look at the U.S., the number of drivers that we have is now about 80% recovered uh, versus 2019, but the number of drivers we have is up 37%. And what we're seeing is that um, driver churn is down almost 20% versus where it was historically, so drivers are much more engaged on the platform. We've talked about driver earnings being $36 uh, an hour on average uh, in the U.S. as well. Um, and the driver engagement, in other words, how many hours are our drivers uh, driving on average, is up 16% on a year-on-year basis. Uh, so the robust earnings, the continued flexibility, and the additional information that you get in terms of upfront destinations that is combining for very, very healthy supply trends. We can still add more drivers into the marketplace, and we're busy doing so. Um, but the trends that we see are very healthy, and the competitive trends uh, that we see in terms of uh, driver engagement on our platform and driver preference for our platform uh, remain very, very high. So, um, uh, you know, the product team has really worked to improve the driver experience from onboarding uh, to, to the upfront destinations, uh, to our customer service, to a bunch of safety innovations that we're driving as well. So uh, there's a lot of innovation going on on the driver front, and it's definitely showing in terms of their preference for a platform. Yeah, so, so first of all, regarding take rate of mobility, um, as we've talked about in the last quarter, it gets a little bit more challenging uh, because of a business model change in the UK that occurred in, in March. Um, and so our reported mobility take rate was 27.9%. If you adjusted out the, the impact of the UK merchant model change, the underlying take rate would have been about 20.2%. On the underlying basis, the take rate did increase about 100 basis points quarter on quarter. Um, and again, the underlying take rate would have been closer to 22% because um, the fuel charge impact was relatively constant quarter over quarter. Um, as we've been trying to guide you, we actually view take rate as just one of the levers of the P&L. We really are focused on uh, demonstrating both growth at the top line, um, but more importantly, and continuing improving margins, which we're getting. Uh, the segment uh, EBITDA margin for mobility in Q3 was 6.6% uh, and continuing to improve. And so we're really focused across a number of different dimensions. And again, we, we feel like we have a lot of levers to make sure we deliver against our top and bottom line targets. Excellent. Thank you, Bill. Your next question is from the line of Ross Sandler with Barclays. Your line is open. Hey, Nelson. I uh, just wanted to follow up on that last comment about the rides EBITDA flow-through, so the 6.6%. Uh, um, at Analyst Day, you guys showed that some of the top 20 markets uh, that are, are, are performing above the long-term target already, uh, you know, back in February, and You've seen this EBITDA margin go up, you know, several hundred basis points uh, this year. So could you just talk about, like, what's pulling up the overall? Is it that those top markets that are in the top 20 are going up even further than 13%, or is it the ones that are kind of below the average, closer to break even, moving towards that long-term goal? Like, any any color on on, on what's driving uh, the EBITDA margin improvement in rides. And do you guys think it's still 11% uh, in the long term, or could it be potentially higher? 
Thanks a lot. So we talk about 10%, and that's the number we've kind of talked as a guide. Um, I would say it's across the board. So what we're seeing is um, we are getting leverage because, A, we're managing our cost base. B, we've talked a lot about some of the investment we made last year in terms of bringing supply on. So we're able to be more efficient in terms of adding that supply. And so it's really across the board. Uh, those top markets that I kind of um, uh, highlighted continue to do extremely well. And actually, we have a number of countries that are above that 10% number. Uh, and, even, and the ones that are below are continuing to improve. And so we've just seen an overall improvement in our marketplace. Um, our business is actually uh, going quite strongly across all of our key geographies right now. And, again, it's a lot of the confidence we have if you think about our ability to uh, put out our quarterly targets and then overachieve against it, particularly on the bottom line, as you've seen this year. And, again, if anything, um, as we think about our 24 targets, um, we're three-quarters into laying out those numbers in February. We've largely hit them on the top line. We've over-exceeded them on the bottom line. The business is operating quite well, and so we probably are more confident in terms of hitting that bottom line number to think about three years out. But it's, but it's, it's not just because it's the folks below the 10% or above the 10%. It's actually the, the, the overall marketplace and, and how the business is operating right now. And, Ross, I just add that we're, we're able to drive this kind of incremental margin, the healthy incremental margin, uh, while we continue to invest in some of the newer products in the mobility portfolio. Uh, we, as we invest in taxi, as we invest in reserve, uh, as we invest in U4B, high-capacity vehicles, shared rides, et cetera. Uh, so we are actively reinvesting in growth levers, but the base business is inflecting um, and is showing very, very strong uh, leverage that allows us to invest in new products while we're delivering higher profitability, as Nelson said. All right, next question, please. Your next question is from the line of Lloyd Walmsley with UBS. Your line is open. Thanks. Uh, two, two, if I can. First, just you know, given all the questions around macro, are there enough levers in the business on the cost side and kind of rationalizing competition such that you're confident in the 2024 EBITDA targets kind of regardless of macro? And then uh, second one, you know, somewhat related, Lyft recently retired their energy surcharge and added a new charge to pass along higher insurance costs. You know, do you think a similar course of action might make sense for Uber, and, and what could that mean for the P&L? Thanks. Okay, so, so, so first of all, in terms of leverage, yeah, so we, we, we've been telling you this, and if you, if you think about the leverage that we're able to pull, um, as Dara said, we're able to continue to improve and deliver or over-deliver against the 7% incremental margins of the company level. Um, while we're investing uh, in some growth bets. Uh, and so we are, we are if, frankly, we're probably more confident in terms of delivering the 24 EBITDA number as we sit here today in November uh, versus even February, because, again, we have three-quarters of data behind us. Uh, and in, in, including the, you know, the part of the macro environment is also the competitive environment, and so we are operating quite well right now. So, yeah, we think we're going to we, – we are very confident in terms of delivering the 24 EBITDA number. In terms of the Lyft surcharge, uh, what I would tell you is um, we obviously know what they're doing. Um, we pay close attention. Uh, we are not making any changes at this time. It's not that we wouldn't at some point. It obviously would have a beneficial effect. But, again, we are trying to balance our marketplace.
drive an efficient marketplace. And as you can tell by our results, uh, we are delivering very, very strong bottom line as well as top line. And again, we'll continue to evaluate it, but again, we're not going to make a change based on uh, something that, that they're doing. And Lloyd, I just add that, you know, right now the focus um, of the business is really to improve our supply situation, uh, and, and, and that's, you know, kind of where, where we're waiting some of our investments. Um, earnings from uh, our earners on a global basis uh, were $10.8 billion, up 25% all-time high on a, on a global basis. And any our job is to run a lean operation where we can deliver as much earnings as possible to our drivers and couriers on a global basis, and also obviously be responsible to our investors. So right now, exactly as Nelson said, we, we like where we are and we're going to focus uh, on our own strategy versus uh, some of our competitor strategy. Okay, thank you. You're welcome. Next question? Your next question is from Deepak Masavanan with Wolf Research. Your line is open. Great. Uh, thanks for taking the questions. So a couple of ones. First, can you unpack the each incremental margins in 3Q? Uh, it's continuing to be very strong, even as you kind of come through the investment period last year. Can you elaborate the factors driving um, cost per trip down? Is it more sort of like a batching and chaining with scale that's happening on the platform, or, there, uh, or are there any other underlying factors? And then um, uh, second question, Dara, maybe can you talk about some of the kind of counter-cyclical elements, you know, potentially helping driver supply with macro becoming weaker, you know, across the world in certain countries? Are you uh, starting to see sort of like the driver supply and, uh, you know, ours being helped by, you know, weakening macro in certain regions? Okay, so first of all, Deepak, I'll take the first part. So uh, as you know, we made a very conscious pivot towards expanding delivery profitability faster than we previously planned. Uh, and if you look about uh, what we've delivered this year as well, well as what the guidance is in the Q4, uh, that will play true. Um, we benefited both from some work that our, our, our tech team has done in terms of improving our currency, our courier efficiency. And so that is probably the single biggest driver in terms of operating, in terms of driving uh, incremental delivery margins. Uh, and then secondarily, there's, we still have a fair amount on the incentive line. The competitive environment has gotten um, more um, constructive, if you will, uh, as a lot of our competitors are also trying to follow our lead and trying to drive profitability. Uh, as, and then the ones that are not public, as you know, the, the funding marks that have changed. So we really are, are competing uh, much more on platform. And so you're seeing the benefits of that as you think about both our growth, but importantly, our, our EBITDA margin progression. And so you should expect us to continue to, to drive that because, as Zara said, internally we are committed to um, managing our cost base and really making sure we get leverage uh, off of our scale platform. And then, Deepak, in terms of driver uh, supply, that is getting uh, healthier uh, across the board on a global basis. Uh, I think there, there are a couple of factors. One is we've leaned into driver supply, so driver incentives, um, while they are easing, continue to be at high levels. You know, we are investing billions of dollars in driver incentives to bring drivers on board. Um, second is we have invested uh, significantly in our onboarding flows, uh, uh, auto-fetching documents as opposed to you're having to, um, you know, take pictures of your documents, improving um, the, the, the conversion of driver signups to actually drivers uh, getting onboarded and making that first trip as well. 
there is a ton of tech work that has gone into those onboarding flows. And, and then I do think the macro, uh, the macro environment does seem to be helping combined with, you know, the solid earnings that we're seeing, right? Average driver in the U.S. making $36 per engaged hour. Those are very, very healthy earnings levels. Uh, and in the U.S. at least, over 70% of our drivers who are coming on board now said that inflation did play a role in their decision to sign up, right? It helps them afford their groceries, be more comfortable um, in an environment where real wages uh, are, are fairly weak as it relates to the inflationary environment. So we do think the macro environment is helping, although I do think that the investments that we've made both in technology and behind driver incentives are also a pretty important factor as well. Uh, next question, please. Your next question is from the line of Mark Mahaney with Evercore ISI. Your line is open. Thanks. I wanted to ask uh, two product productivity questions. The um, Uber One. What do you what What else can you do to make the Uber One value proposition more compelling, such that you go from 10 million customers members to 20 or, or 30 million? Like, what are the big unlocks ahead on Uber One? And then, secondly, you talked about um, driver supply um, is now back on par, or mobile uh, the active drivers is back on par with September 19 levels, and that you've seen improvement in things like surge and ETAs. Are surge and ETAs are those metrics back to where they were back then? And if not, what still needs to be done to kind of uh, continue to improve the the performance, the productivity of mobility to get it back to where it was and uh, to get it improved from today. Thanks. Sure, absolutely. Uh, so, Mark, the, the one thing that I would stress is we think Uber One is already there. Like, we're always trying to improve the product as well. But remember, this is a, this is a very young product. Uh, we're still launching markets, so we're now in eight markets. And, uh, you know, it is the only product out there we price competitively with uh, other players who are um, who are offering delivery only benefits, uh, and we are offering delivery benefits that are just as strong as our competition, and discounts ranging from five to ten percent on the mobility side, uh, which is a far superior proposition, especially as markets are opening up uh, uh, as well. So we're confident with the product as we have it to be able to go from 10 million to 20 million uh, to the 30 million that you put out there. The product is already there. Now, we are going to invest in experiential benefits. You know, do you get um, priority pickup in airports? Uh, uh, do you get uh, priority matching, for example, during an event? Those are definitely benefits that we are going to experiment with, uh, but Uber One as is is the best membership product out there on a global basis. Uh, and obviously with the audience that we have, we have a mobility audience and a delivery audience and a grocery audience that we can put, that we can um, push Uber One in terms of a marketing audience. Uh, we think that 20 million, 30 million um, are a matter of time. Uh, in terms of surge and ETAs, they are coming down. Uh, generally, I would say surge levels now are running at the high 20 to 30% range. Uh, we're more comfortable with uh, range, call it, in the teams. Um, ETAs, on average, are running, you know, call it six minutes, uh, and we are more comfortable in the five-minute range. What it takes to get to those levels is simply continued investment in supply. Uh, and we are seeing 
our um, supply improve and generally supply hours uh, are growing at very healthy rates, which is a function of new drivers onboarding, but then the average driver who's onboarded uh, being engaged um, uh, at a higher level uh, than they were last year. So as we improve the supply-demand balance of the marketplaces and we're well on our way, we think we'll get surge levels, you know, uh, below 20% and ETAs closer to five minutes. Um, the directionally, we're confident where we're going. Okay. Thank you, Dara. You're welcome. Next question. Your next question is from the line of Ron Josie with City. Your line is open. Great. Thanks for taking the question. Maybe, Dar, I wanted to follow up on a question earlier on up from fares and destinations. And I think in the past or recently you talked about just variables that go into pricing more so than just time and distance. So can you talk to us a little more about just the, the variables on the algorithm besides time and distance on up from fares? And then we haven't talked much about advertising here, but 350 million run rate, targeting a billion by 24, um, a bunch of launches this quarter. Talk to us about what's needed from a tools and maybe verticals or Salesforce perspective to get to that billion dollars. Thank you. Yeah, sure, uh, Ron. So um, time and distance are definitely variables. You know, one, one variable is uh, the supply of drivers in that location, right? If there are a lot of drivers in that location, you can price uh, the trip a little lower, or, or if the supply of drivers is low in that location, then you're going to have to price up as well. Um, we will also predict uh, the chances of there being another ride um, at the destination as well. So is the driver going to have uh, a, a large amount of deadhead miles, call it, um, in which case we would price up um, if it's highly likely that the driver will have another ride so that utilization is high, uh, then we would price that uh, ride lower. And then also some of the basics, right? Um, how far does a driver need to drive for the pickup? If it's half a mile, then price might be lower. If it's, you know, call it five or six miles, um, then the price will be higher as well. Uh, and then also our ability to show the upfront fare and our looking at what the accept rate is for those upfront fares give us signals into our pricing algorithm that wasn't possible with time and distance previously. When we were time and distance, it is what it is. You know, drivers will accept or they won't. Actually, in that case, they would cancel if they didn't like the destination. Now we see live signal as to is our pricing working or not based on driver acceptance rates, and that goes into the algorithms that determine pricing uh, as well. All of this is uh, combining uh, to a higher throughput marketplace, um, with higher satisfaction on the driver uh, on the driver side as well, um, so we're pretty happy about the signal, uh, and and it's clearly something that drivers love. Um, in terms of advertising, you know we're very confident the the, the targets that we put in terms of getting to a billion dollars uh, were based on what we think are conservative assumptions. Um, we see competitors out in the marketplace. Uh, with advertising dollars as a percentage of gross bookings of 2%, um, a billion dollars 2020, uh, by 2024 implies, you know, numbers that are short of that 2% number. So we think even if we get to a billion, we think we will have growth in advertising beyond that. We are now excited to open up new services, uh, new services on the advertising front. Our journey ads that we have uh, launched that um, opens up the mobility surface, uh, we are getting very, very uh, um, 
excellent engagement as far as mobility consumers with those ads, and we're attracting some pretty premium advertisers onto that surface as well uh, because of the unique surface uh, that attracted very high demo as well. Uh, so we are well on our way to that billion, and I think, again, the billion is not the high point of that business. The billion is just one step along the way to building a multi-billion dollar business for us. Thank you, Dara. You're welcome. Next question. Your next question is from the line of John Blackledge with Cowan. Your line is open. Oh, great. Thank you. Two questions. Uh, first, just uh, um, could you discuss Uber's market share position in both mobility and delivery? And then on mobility, could you talk about the volumes compared to the highs uh, pre-pandemic? Thank you. Sure. Um, in terms of our category position in mobility and delivery, you know, we operate all around the world. But if, if I were to generalize um, on mobility, our category position is very strong. We are at close to, if not at all-time highs. Uh, and uh, U.S., Australia, the U.K. particularly is very, very strong with us, uh, strong for us as far as category position goes. And then on the delivery side, we have improved our category position quarter on quarter, uh, and either we've been stable or improving our category position across 75-plus percent of our gross booking phase. And in the last month, we believe that's only improved. Uh, so we are in a position now, because of the scale of the business, because of the global nature of the business, and the power of the platform where mobility is pushing, uh, is, is sending consumers to delivery and vice versa, we're able to gain category position and um, improve margins pretty significantly, which, which is great. Uh, second question. So in terms of recovery, so we're more than 100% recovered versus pre-pandemic levels um, globally on mobility, and we're about 94% recovered on a trip basis globally. So again, the business has come back nicely, and again, we see pretty good runway ahead of us. Thank I'll you. We'll take one last question, please. Your final question comes from the line of Jason Helstein with Oppenheimer. Your line is open. Thank you. Um, so um, our work suggests um, that delivery-only users in, in Europe, and, and we use the UK as a proxy, but are multiples higher than mobility-only users. Um, I guess, can you elaborate, what do you think you need to do to convert these delivery-only users to mobility users, or do you think there are structural differences in transportation in, in, in Europe versus the U.S.? Thanks. Yeah, so I think um, in terms of those users, uh, it, it's really the platform. So we are now offering mobility promos, for example, to delivery users who uh, either uh, have churned uh, or mobility users who've never used mobility before. And we're seeing really great promise in terms of delivery actually being able to uh, cross-promote and drive mobility use cases as well. Uh, and then Uber One is the other product that we have. Obviously, the the lead benefit for Uber One is free delivery and discounts on your delivery as well. But the mobility benefits are benefits that we can promote in Europe and other markets. Um, and when you look at the UK, for example, a much higher percentage of our mobility business is, let's say, in London, while the delivery business not just in London, but is in a number of other cities, the Manchester's, Liverpool's, Newcastle's, et cetera, uh, of the world as well. So 
we think the power of cross promotion. You know, we, we started with mobility really promoting delivery. So we think delivery promoting mobility back is absolutely a potential that we have that we're very early in terms of developing. Thanks. Heather. All right. Uh, well, thank you everyone for joining. Um, we are very, very happy to deliver another healthy quarter of strong top line growth and strong bottom line, bottom line growth as well. Um, Nelson Biology and I get to talk about it, but there are thousands of Uber employees who are doing the hard work on the ground. Uh, so special thank you to them. Uh, and then, of course, our earners with whom uh, we wouldn't be here talking to you. Uh, look forward to talking uh, to you next quarter. Ladies and gentlemen, this concludes today's conference call. You may now disconnect.